Hello and welcome to the Bright Morning Podcast. I'm Elena Aguilar. Happy birthday to this podcast. Happy birthday to this podcast. Happy third birthday to the Bright Morning Podcast. Happy birthday to the podcast. This episode is airing in June of 2023, which is the third anniversary of the podcast. And I am just feeling a lot of joy and satisfaction and gratitude, gratitude for all of you who are listening, who have been our listeners, for all of you who have left ratings and reviews. I'm feeling incredible gratitude to my teammate, Leslie Bickford, who is the president of Bright Morning and this podcast's producer and its greatest champion and its midwife and the person who encouraged, encouraged, and nudged me to start it. And here we are, over 160 episodes in. I love doing this. I really do. I love this as a way to be with you, to be in your ear, to be sharing hot topics, like what I'm about to talk to you about today, and things that are on my mind and coaching conversations. So happy birthday to the podcast. Okay, so we are beginning a mini series of hot topics in coaching for equity. And today's episode is on how do you coach for equity when even using that word is prohibited? And so I am assuming that you know that in many places in the United States in recent years, there have been things that are happening that are restricting how educators are talking about and responding to equity issues. And that's what I'm going to unpack today. I am going to give you a brief overview in case you're not fully up to date on what's been happening. It's going to be brief. I am also going to be bringing in my teammate, Nick Keynes, to talk with me briefly about what is going on in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where he lives and works, and how he's thinking about this challenge. And then I'm going to be giving you some concrete steps for what you can do if you are in a place where equity is either just prohibited or you know that you have to be real careful in how to address equity issues. That's what's coming up in this episode. So before I jump into it, I do want to shout out a friend of the show, Jenny M. Thank you for being a friend of the Bright Morning Podcast. And folks, to all of our friends of the show, your support really does make a difference. If you are interested in being a friend of the show, maybe you've been listening to us for a while and you're like, yeah, I love this podcast. It means something to me. You'll find a link in the show notes for how to become a friend of the show. Okay, let's jump into this episode on what do you do when the word equity is prohibited? How do you coach? So first, what I want to do is delineate between the two situations we're really in. There are places where talking about equity is just explicitly forbidden. It's prohibited. It's forbidden. That's the first situation. The second situation is is there are a lot of places where it's not explicitly forbidden, but there's a lot of pressure from parent groups, community groups, from these smaller but outspoken groups pushing back 
on talking about equity, reading certain books, bringing certain books into the curriculum, and so on. So I want to delineate that and suggest that I'm going to really mostly be speaking to people in the second group where you're feeling a lot of pressure, particularly where there's some ambiguity or vagueness about actually what is possible for you to do. I think that's what I've been recognizing that in a lot of places, there's a lot of ambiguity and it's that ambiguity actually that makes it hard to figure out how to navigate. As I said, I first want to provide you with a little bit of information about what has been going on because maybe you know what's going on in your neck of the woods, but not in other parts of the United States. So I'm going to give you a few highlights or an overview. Since January of 2021, 41 states have introduced bills or taken other steps that restrict teaching critical race theory, CRT, or that limit how teachers can discuss racism and sexism. And then 18 states have imposed these bans and restrictions either through legislation or through other avenues. So right now, there are more than 18 states that have actually enacted policies targeting CRT. Perhaps most notoriously, in 2022, Florida's governor signed an act called the Stop Woke Act, which prohibited educators from teaching lessons on race or LGBTQIA issues. And then most recently, in May of 2023, that same governor of Florida has largely banned Florida's public universities and colleges from spending any money on diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives. It's a really big blow. We can look all over the United States, Arkansas, Arizona, Tennessee. There's just these ongoing efforts parent groups trying to challenge curriculum choices, trying to remove library books, insisting that teachers take down flags or banners that seem to be supporting social justice causes. So this just goes on and on. And I won't go into all that, but I would encourage you, depending on what part of the country you're in, to do a little research and see if there have been things passed or attempted to pass in your area. So I do want to provide a little bit of context for this most recent upsurge, this kind of oppressive reactionary response to talking about marginalization and oppression and injustice, and bring this back to the aftermath of the murder of George Floyd in Minnesota, which was really a spark for teachers to begin introducing lessons and content that turned attention to racism and bias and police brutality. Shortly after that, the 1619 Project was released, which began as a New York Times series, which really placed the history of the United States in the context of slavery and African-American history, placed that at the center of American history. And there were a number of responses to George Floyd's murder, the protests that we could say sparked something of a racial reckoning that prompted many organizations and not just schools to actually take up anti-racism initiatives, diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives, and then conservative individuals, organizations, politicians began pushing back. 
And that's what we are dealing with, this pushback that was also encouraged and supported by the then president, Donald Trump, which was not just a vocal encouragement of the pushback, but also he signed in September of 2020 an executive order which banned certain types of diversity training in federal agencies. So that order has since been revoked by President Biden, but it did initiate a whole lot of action from pundits and advocacy groups and politicians and parents that were mostly from the conservative domain to oppose efforts to talk about diversity, racism, police brutality, and issues of other communities and groups being marginalized. Texas is another state where there has been a lot of legislation that includes restrictions around how teachers can discuss current events, what activities they can assign for course credit. There's another legislation passed in Texas that says things like a teacher cannot be compelled to discuss a particular current event or controversial issue and that if a teacher chooses to do, they must strive to explore the topic from diverse and contending perspectives. It also says that schools can't teach that slavery is anything else but a betrayal of America's founding values. So some of this language is very specific, like that last language, which is terrifying. That's about interpreting history. And it says this is the only way we can talk about what slavery was. This is the interpretation. But there's also a lot of ambiguity and grayness. And it's that that becomes really challenging to figure out how to navigate and to figure out really what is the danger, what is the fear, what are the risks that an individual coach or school leader or teacher can take. So that's the brief overview. We are in a complicated, tricky place and time, and we've been here before. I won't go into a long history lesson about book banning and restrictions on freedom of speech and so on, but this has happened before in this country and in other countries that think of themselves to be democracies and so on. But we're in a tricky time right now, and it's a time for us to unpack these situations, to talk to each other, to get different perspectives, and then to figure out how do we organize? How do we respond? So to explore that a little bit, I thought it would be fun and engaging to invite my teammate, Nick Keynes, to have a conversation with me about this. So Nick lives in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He is a coach of coaches, and he has coached teachers for many years. Nick is also one of Bright Morning's presenters for Coaching for Equity, for the art of coaching. So maybe you have been in a workshop with Nick before. He's also been on the podcast many times. So let's jump into this brief conversation I had with Nick. Let me just give you a heads up. There are a few points where the audio is a little funky, um, but it's not too bad. And it's a short conversation with Nick. And after this, I'll come back in and tell you six things that you can do to respond to this situation we're in. 
All right, Nick, welcome back to the podcast. I am looking forward to hearing about your experiences and your opinion about what is going on. So first, let's just start off with what's going on in Tulsa, Oklahoma, in relationship to equity being prohibited. Thank you for inviting me on. In Oklahoma, there is a House bill called 1775, which people are probably really familiar with now, that basically made it illegal to teach Oklahoma students, and on, on the face, this is what it says, that one race or sex is inherently superior to another race or sex. And it has different other lines that are like that, which on the face of it actually is stuff that I agree with. Yeah, we shouldn't teach superiority, especially like white supremacy. But in action, it's been used to question activities like the cross the line activities that a teacher might do, where you cross this line to say who you are, and that can be misconstrued or lobbied at Tulsa public schools because a teacher wanted to challenge that CRT was being taught in a training video that was about implicit bias. So even though on its face, it looks like it's an innocuous, hey, just don't teach that anyone should be better than another person. The use of it is actually, it feels nefarious that actually we can't talk about race at all, or we can't talk about factual things that happened in history if someone feels uncomfortable by that truth which is really the impact of all of this has been that people are just scared. A lot of my teachers who want to talk about the content in their curriculum are scared to bring up anything about race for fear that it could be misconstrued by a parent, could be misconstrued by a student. And that's both really scary for teachers in Oklahoma because real consequences can happen, but also it's just sad that people who are passionate about disrupting inequities can't even talk about the basic subject without being in fear of losing their job. So how have you seen or heard teachers or coaches that you're working with grappling with that? I've been able to talk to a few coaches in Oklahoma and Tulsa, and one I've noticed across racial lines. There, I have white coaches, I have coaches that identify as BIPOC, and we all can meet up in the same room, and everyone in the room says it's so important to have these conversations about like white supremacy culture traits, things that I really want to talk about because I don't want to perpetuate that because it's harmful. But then they say, ooh, but the language, I know we can't broadly say words like white supremacy culture. So then we have these really what feel like painful conversations where I've heard the coaches say, all right, we can't use the word white supremacy culture. At essence though, what do we focus on? How can we still pursue disrupting harmful things going on for students and adults without using the language? So then we start doing kind of mental gymnastics. Okay, let's say inequitable practices because we didn't use any race in there. We just have to say the words inequitable practices. We're still talking about things that we want to interrupt in the workplace, but it seems, okay, we just can't use the words that are most accurate or the words that reflect what we really want to talk about. And that just feels icky. Is that the word I want to use? It feels like false or dangerous just 
trying to figure out what are the right words to say when my intention is I just want to do what's best for students and for the adults with the students right now. I think you said the word, it feels dangerous, which resonates because when we are ambiguous or when we're not precise in what we're talking about, there can be different ways that something is interpreted. We have a session in our Coaching for Equity workshop, which is about naming the elephant in the room. And it feels like when you can't actually name the elephant and you're talking around it and hoping everybody is aligned with your indirect references, there's too much risk that what needs to be talked about actually won't be addressed, won't be seen. And uh, that really poses, you're talking about mental gymnastics, but it's also like linguistic. And this is setting up such a difficult scenario, which makes me wonder about whether some people perhaps at some point like, oh, this is just not worth it. Let's just sit this out or keep trying to figure out how do we talk about. And then I also hear you saying there's such a context of fear that it's also like, why even take that risk? You have to have a real deep commitment to even take that risk to say, I'm going to risk even being interpreted this way and possibly losing my job. If you're teaching or coaching in the Tulsa School District, you could be fired tomorrow without any reason. And it also has been public. If anyone Googles Tulsa teacher banned book or something like that, you could see that a teacher can lose their job if they are reported for doing some of these things that are in this law. And it has already happened. It happened in a district in Oklahoma already. And it's been a big source of discussion because it became a part of the political climate. The Secretary of Education talked about it, about his support for this teacher losing their license for giving kids access to banned books. Mm-hmm. And that was before he was elected. And that told me there are people who support that viewpoint as well. And that's sad to me, nearly dystopian. It's very scary. That's okay as a viewpoint, but yeah, that is the reality. That's why it's not flippant to me when I'm coaching a teacher or trying to think about, can I even bring this up? That yes, at a certain point, a person's job is on the line, a job they really want, even though they want to do what's best for students, they don't want to be reported or break some type of law without knowing it. What it also brings up for me is definitely that Tulsa Public Schools has an equity core value. So how Mm -hmm. tricky is it to have it as a core value, but then have to figure out the language Mm. around how to talk about it as an employee of Tulsa Public Schools? Wow. Yeah, that's a conflict. So how do you think all of this impacts how coaches need to be working with teachers right now? If you have any thoughts about specific strategies or actions or approaches to take. A part of it is when I'm working either with coaches or with teachers, when I'm working with coaches, we talk about, all right, no matter, because we don't know everyone's beliefs about talking about equity for students. But we start thinking about what's at essence something that every one of our teachers can agree with, which is that every single student in my classroom needs to get what they need to thrive in this classroom. So I won't maybe get a distracting buzzword in there, but I will say, how are we supporting every single one of your students, especially this group of students who speak two languages or this group of student who doesn't maybe look like you we we can get to maybe the intention and the heart of it without saying words like how are we providing equitable instruction or without having to use the words that might get us in trouble it doesn't feel right 
to just mm-hmm. focus on the words. But as like a placeholder, we talked about how does it affect our coaching and our intentions? Our intention is still to serve those students and to serve those teachers. So in the meantime, get to the heart of it without using the words that seem to be too loaded and distracting. We can't bring up CRT, even though the definition of CRT is not offensive, but we know it's a buzzword. We know it's too politically hot. So we're not going to use that word, but we will encourage people to still teach the content that's in their curriculum that the district provided. First of all, one of the things that comes to mind is it also seems like this is a great opportunity to integrate the strategies and the skills that we talk about in transformational coaching around creating space for emotions. Because I'm sure that for some people or for you or some of the coaches, all of that comes up needs and deserves some space to be held. But then it also does seem like there is a lot of strategy that needs to go into, okay, how do we move forward with our commitments and staying within the risk that we're comfortable with and still having the conversations we need to have? It seems really tricky. Very tricky. Very tricky, and I'm very sensitive to it. But when I sit down with coaches to talk about it, they have told me that it can be so cathartic to have a space to just say what they are learning about their identity markers and how that impacts how they coach. Mm. What are they learning about power that they bring into spaces and how that impacts their teachers that they're with Mm. and having a space to really just say, I wasn't thinking about my race at first, but now I'm really thinking about what that means for when I sit with this teacher across lines of difference, or I really want to start exploring a little bit more my gender identity, how that's been impacting how I work with my manager, how I work with certain teachers. And they've said it's just such a helpful, wonderful experience to have a space where Mm -hmm. it's okay to really get into these dynamics of inequitable practices that really hold me back from being able to serve students and teachers. That's really interesting. So it seems like there is the possibility of possibility as the possibility that some conversations can be had because they've been provoked in this way. I can also see how there are people who could see this as I don't have to have that conversation with you. Now we don't have to talk about this kind of thing. And where there's the opportunity to galvanize or more deeply enlist some folks who are willing to explore their experiences, their identities, and and perhaps figure out how to take steps forward. I think so much about Frederick Douglass's often quoted, power concedes nothing without demand. It never has, it never will. And we're in a stage again, where we have to organize in new ways and be strategic and innovative and creative and subversive and figure out how to respond to this latest wave. So Nick, I just want to thank you for jumping into this episode with some perspective from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and really more broadly, thank you for the role you play in Bright Morning for sharing our workshops with folks. Absolutely. It's a big joy. And even though we're in a really tough moment in history, it's heartening to have the conversations. Yeah. It sounds like you are finding ways to continue having the conversations in spite of what's happening, perhaps 
there's an opportunity for them to be different or deeper or something. Yeah. Thank you, Nick. Thank you so much. Okay, so I hope that that was an engaging little intermission in this episode of me talking. I just love Nick. I think he's so wise and humble and insightful and gets so much out of my conversations with him. And in the show notes, I'm going to link the other episodes that he has been here for in case you want to get a little bit more of Nicholas Keynes. All right, so what can you do? I've got six suggestions for you for how to respond if you are in a situation like this. The first is to get clear on what matters most to you and what you are willing to do. This will help you get clear on the risks you're willing to take and why it matters to you to take risks. So it's helpful to understand, perhaps to remember that we human beings usually put our social relationships ahead of ideology, even ahead of values when we are not really clear on what matters most to us on on the non-negotiables and those can be values right but when we're not really clear sometimes we we put our relationships and that's because we're wired to elevate belonging and social connectedness that's just how we're wired as human beings. So if you are going to take a stand for a belief, and this stand might require that you endanger social relationships. Those social relationships might be with your colleagues. They might be with family members. They might be with your supervisors, your administrators. If you're going to put those relationships at risk, you have to be super clear on what matters to you, on what you are willing to take a stand for, what beliefs, what values those could be that that you value teaching about systemic racism in the United States or coaching for equity. You need to be really anchored in that belief in your core, in your mind, in your heart, in your body. You need to know what matters most because the actions will require you to be so grounded in those commitments. That's the first thing you need to do. Second, you need to build coalitions, alliances, support groups. You cannot do this kind of work right now in a vacuum alone. It's going to be too hard. This does connect in some ways with what I mentioned in the first point, which is you need a sense of belonging, connectedness. You need the support. You need someone to talk through all the challenges. You need to have that kind of support to navigate the risk. If you try to do this work alone, if you try to respond to this backlash alone, you're going to feel drained. It's just really hard to take the kind of steps to act with the kind of courage that you need to act with alone. So find your communities, find your people, even if that's one person, doesn't even have to be local, but it has to be somewhere. You can't do this kind of work alone. You can't navigate this challenge alone. Step number three, learn as much as you can about the context you are in, the local context, the district, the school context, 
Ideally, do this learning with someone else who's also concerned about the situation. But as I said earlier, a lot of the legislation, a lot of what's happening seems like it has a lot of gray areas and is up to interpretation. So you need to understand the nuances of what is happening, the legislation, the language, in order to figure out what fights you can undertake and how to take them, what's really at risk. Otherwise, you're going to hear about what's going on and most likely contract and feel a lot of fear. That's what they want you to do. They want you to feel a lot of fear. They want you to retract because you are afraid that you could lose your job or that something will happen to you. So inform, get informed, inform yourself about what's going on and exactly what the language and the legislation is. Step number four is continuously return to your beliefs about your purpose in life. Continuously come back to the question of what is the legacy that you want to leave? This need for purpose, legacy, meaning is also a core human need. And responding to this need, meeting this need can provide the fuel you need to fight the fight that's ahead. So you're going to need to tap into that, your sense of purpose or legacy as an anchor that will help you get clear about the choices you need to make, about the relationships you want to build, the action that you want to take. Continuously come back to whatever helps you re-anchor in this is why I'm alive. This is the legacy I want to leave. Number five, the fifth action that you can take is to build your skill set in talking about equity and racism and injustice. You can learn a lot of skills, a lot of strategies for how to engage people in conversations, how to ask questions that provoke reflection, how to build the kinds of relationships in which conversations about equity can take place. You can learn a lot of skills to coach the emotions that inevitably arise in people when talking about equity. I can have long conversations about equity without ever using the word equity or race or racism. And yes, it is more complicated to do this when you can't say those words. Sometimes it can feel like you are having to take mental gymnastics or to talk about things abstractly, talk about the elephant in the room without naming the elephant. Sometimes it can feel like that. It's true. And you can also have these conversations. You might be experiencing some internal conflict, but you can still have these conversations. Coaching for equity is not about telling people that they're racist. It's about helping them cultivate awareness of their beliefs, about helping them look at the impact of those beliefs on the actions they take, and then helping them consider who they want to be, their core values, the legacy they want to leave, and creating that alignment. You can learn the skills to do this. This is what we teach in our Coaching for Equity workshops. It's what we begin to teach in the Art of Coaching workshop. You can learn all those skills. You can learn how to recognize racism and inequity and injustice and be really effective in talking about those issues. And even I would say in talking about them in a way that where you don't have to use the language, which might be prohibited, and in talking about them in a way that will get people to be open and to listen, you can do that. 
build your skills. When you build your skills, you will also be building your confidence, your sense of competence in being able to do this. That will also help to mitigate the emotional turmoil, the frustration, the fear that you can't have an impact. Build your skills. That's number five. And number six is learn how to coach up. Learn how to coach the administrators and the people who are making these decisions or who feel like they need to enact them. Learn how to coach the perhaps parent groups or the parents who are either advocating for this kind of repressive legislation or even the ones who are ambivalent, who feel uncertain. So when I say learn how to coach up, I'm saying learn how to use these coaching skills to cultivate reflection and insight, to cultivate compassion and curiosity, to learn how to help those people reflect, take different actions, sort through everything that they're dealing with, including the fear. Help them figure out how to respond to all these pressures that actually may not be totally aligned with their core values. Learn how to listen to them. Learn how to have compassion for them, how to be curious about what's going on with them. That all of those skills go into learning how to coach up, learning how to coach others who are not the people you are assigned to coach. And learning how to coach up all those skills are the ones that I refer to in the fifth point So this is also what we teach. We teach you how to listen. We teach you how to cultivate your own compassion and curiosity while simultaneously taking care of yourself and honoring your own fear and grief and rage. But you can build the skills to engage in the kind of conversations with all kinds of stakeholders and with those that we need to be engaging with in order to stop this wave of reactionary, oppressive policies and legislations. And yeah, sometimes this feels like that's a lot to put onto one human being. You gotta teach or coach, lead, be a human, and also stop this wave of repressive policies in education. Yeah, that feels like a lot. And if you are making a choice to do that, then I hope that these six steps will help you get clarity on some things that you can do right now today. All right, friends, thanks for listening. Hey, if you found this episode useful or helpful, would you share it with a friend? If you are committed to Coaching for Equity, check out our upcoming Coaching for Equity workshop. And finally, if you love this podcast, would you rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts? Would you review us there? It really helps get the podcast out there in the world. And happy birthday to the podcast. Leslie Bickford is the podcast producer and Stacy Goodman does the sound engineering. And I'll see you next time for the next episode in our mini series on hot topics in coaching for equity. 